Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Welcome to the latest edition of the Golf Show, presented by Michelob Ultra. Stay in, stay active, enjoy. Proudly distributed locally by United Beverage of South Bend. My name is Darren Pritchett, WSBT Radio Sports Director, and I am joined by our golf experts. We have John Foster, the general manager at Warren Golf Course at Notre Dame. Hello, John. Hello, Darren. Good to talk to you as always. Tim Firestone, the owner of Blackthorn Golf Club in South Bend, also alongside timothy how are you i'm great darren how are you today i'm very very good thank you greatly appreciated actually swung a golf club for the first time since august earlier this week had the great pleasure of spending a a couple of hours with the great john foster playing a little golf and first off warren was in absolutely fantastic shape and unfortunately, over the winter, the greens did not double in size. So when you don't hit the ball very often, the greens look really, really small from time to time. But first off, John, the golf course was in absolutely terrific shape. Yeah, I, I mean, we've talked about it before. I think we all know we're we're quite short-staffed right now on the maintenance end especially. And so Matt Seelan and his guys have done a phenomenal job. And, um, you know, we opened June 2nd. The greens were fairly slow when we first opened, a little bit bumpy, and that's just because we kind of got caught unawares on the opening, and we need about you need two to three weeks really to bring them down to okay. the height like we saw yesterday, Darren. And so I was speaking to Matt after I played yesterday, telling him how good they were, and he said, you know, it's just the past week and a half or a week, um, they've rounded in the shaving eagles. They're a lot like they were last year before the senior open with the exception of, of the speed, uh, although they were adequately fast, right, Darren? Didn't you think? I thought they were just perfect. Yeah, and, and let me say this, Tim. Um, you missed an exhibition by your buddy here. For a guy that plays once a year, he steps up to the first tee, hits it about 280, almost in the pot bunker in the middle of the fairway. Oh, my like, God. He was about 100 yards ahead of me. And because um, I <laughs> kind of bunted one out there. And then he hits a wedge over the green, and I'm like, okay, now reality's setting in because you're just dead. The pin was in the back. He's, like, in deep grass, probably 10 yards over the green. And what's he do? He flops one up to about four feet. I'm like, what is going on here? I thought maybe, yeah. It was, uh, He's been in really his backyard good. hitting uh, wiffle balls or something. Can you tell I'm a Phil Mickelson fan by that whole story right there? Big drive. Cruddy iron, and then you hit a miraculous lob shot to kind of save the day. <laughs> well, you did. You did say, Darren, that you'd been doing a little bit of backyard work with your sand wedge and stuff. It was like it was. It was quite good, I would have to say. And and Tim, throughout the whole round, uh, he was he was killing. It. He had a, a couple of bad drives and stuff, but and he's always complaining about his putting. What I saw yesterday, after well, about three holes, he settled in. Went back to his own putting stroke and the grip and forgot about all this goofy stuff he'd been trying over the past couple years. Started rolling the ball nicely. And if I had his game, I would play a heck of a lot more, I can tell you that. Okay. I'm going to be honest with 
Okay, go ahead, Darren. Now, let me just my, my analysis. Let me say this: I'm going to make the flop shot sound more spectacular, John. <laughs> I don't practice that in the backyard. I used to practice it all the time when I play, but no, I don't go in the backyard. That was just hmm. all old field doing that. So that was just okay. watching Phil get into trouble and just learn how to hit the plop shot. So I don't think I could have done it again. Let's be perfectly honest. Oh. But it was it was really, really a good time. And there were a few more bad shots, Tim, than John probably remembers. But go ahead, Tim. I, I stepped on you, so go right ahead. <laughs> I would just say, Darren, that you at one time must have been an incredible golfer because no. every time I play with you, you are so discouraged and beat yourself up so badly. Yes. And I don't think you realize that you are better than 98% of people that play golf in the world today. Well, you know, give yourself a break, man. Get first off, enjoy it. Oh, no, no. I First off, the best I've ever shot 75 way back when, and I've shot. I broke 80 once at Blackthorn and once at Warren. I, again, I don't play as much as I used to, but I do enjoy it. But, you know, when you have a couple of good shots, you feel like you got it kind of figured out. And then when you hit a couple of bad ones, it just gets a little frustrating. So, yeah, I need to I need to tone it down just a little bit. That's always been the issue. There's no doubt about that. That's probably prevented me from being better through the years, to be honest. It doesn't help. No, it doesn't help. And well, you've got a good swing, and you hit it hard. I mean, yeah. you, you know what you're doing. Well, here's yeah. the thing, Tim, and, and this actually would be good for our listeners because oftentimes you'll hear this on TV when someone's golf swing is analyzed, and maybe we can help somebody else because, John, when you were watching my swing, mm -hmm. there were a few times where my drives, I would come over the top, and you would tell me immediately what? What's the first thing that came to mind? Yeah. You had gotten way too long. Your backswing was way too long. And when you first started, Darren, I think due to tempo and uh, maybe even a little bit of lack of confidence, it was about a three-quarter swing yeah. with your driver <laughs> and very connected. And you were killing it. But I think as you went along, either you got looser or hitting a 280 wasn't good enough for you. So you thought, gee, I'm going to reach back and get more. And and so not only you got long and the club crossed the plane and there's nowhere to go but over the top. So that's the only tendency, I'd say, that you need to really be aware of and work on. Well, first off, Tim, let me tell you, on the 16th hole, I know I'm right-handed and Mickelson's left-handed, but I hit probably a slice that was – comparable to Mickelson at Wingfoot on the 72nd hole of the U.S. Open that hit the tent. So it wasn't all peachy the entire time. But, you know, John continued to tell me when I would come over the top, I was getting too quick at the top. Yep. And so, John, when you say that, or if a person listening to this program mm -hmm. hears someone say that, what exactly am I doing, and, and kind of what is the sure. fix? I know you've already said it, the, the swing was too long, and there's no doubt I went past parallel. You showed sure. me some video. So what does too fast mean? Well, and when I say too fast, it's not the speed of the club through the hitting zone. That's not it at all. Right. We want the club to accelerate. It's the transition at the top, Darren, where something comes to rest and then starts again, and, you know, that's just simple physics, yet so many people don't finish the backswing and they start with their hands to swing the club down. There's no pause. There's no opportunity for momentum to change from going back to going through. And as a result, you invariably change the 
you know, the, the uh, club face. And normally the path as well becomes outside in. So I would just counsel people on, you know, once you, your shoulders have turned and your arms have extended, don't go any further and just give it a pause. I mean, don't, you don't have to be a Hideki Matsuyama with, uh, you know, wait three seconds. Uh, what, what was our buddy? You swing it. But it's amazing. It's my uh, bugaboo, too. If I, if I can do that very thing, I play a lot better, and I have the same tendency you as you have. Yeah. When you saw me do that, you talked yeah. to yourself on the par yeah. three, and you knocked it stiff. So, And then you had some great shots right after that. So, you know, that particular screw-up yeah. by me kind of changed your mindset yeah, thanks, a little bit. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate that. That's what yeah. I'm here for. And, and I heard you say, Tim, Bob Murphy, oh, my goodness. Oh, my he, goodness. he ate a sandwich before he started the downswing. <laughs> Right. Yeah, that's good. Go watch Bob Murphy videos for a day and then go play. Oh. That'll get you to set it at the top. It's unbelievable. That was incredible. Yeah. He so might as well it... start it with the club up there. You know what I mean? Why do you even have a backswing? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I wonder that sometimes. So basically, guys, what we're talking about here when you're, you're too fast, does that just cause your hands to get an, ahead of everything else? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can. Yeah, yeah, you get all out of sync because your your shoulders and body can't turn as quickly as you're firing down with your hands. So there's no way you can sync up at impact. Hmm. So is there something that comes to mind to you, Tim or John? Is there a drill that people like me who are tend to get a little quick like that? Is there something we can do, or is there a mindset you can pass along to help? individuals like us that are trying to break that particular habit? Tim, you got well, anything I'd I think, go first. Well, yeah, I mean, I think what people, a couple things, that, first of all, just to say, there are people that are just God-gifted that have that eye-hand coordination yeah. that can just simply go and not play for six months, pick up a club, mm-hmm. and keep the rhythm, keep the routine, and square the club at impact. And right. God bless those people. I'm not one of them. <laughs> But I think at the end of the day, that's what makes golf so difficult is being able to repeat the same swing over again and feel comfortable in doing that. And the best way to do it is is practice. And I think the thing that we see, and John, we've talked about this on the show a hundred times, is what do people do when they go to the driving range? They grab their driver and they smash balls as hard as they can. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and really I think uh, – the number one thing that I would recommend for high handicappers that are going out to the driving range is the first 20 minutes of your practice session should be all about tempo. Mm-hmm. Focused on taking the club back slow. Like John said, set the club. Don't worry about if you're only hitting your eight iron 100 yards. It doesn't matter. Just get that feel of, of the timing and the rhythm uh, of, your, of your golf swing mm-hmm. um, because it just goes – so it's not something people focus on a lot of times. Yeah. You know, they're either worried about their grip or their stance or their this or their that. But at the end of the day, it's all about being able to find a tempo that you can repeat one shot after another. It, it is. I think it comes down to confidence because when you're out, go to the range and try to pause for one second at the top. People have so much trouble with that. Part of it's balance to be able to stop up there. But I think it's just this fear of what's going to happen when I swing through that they just can't wait and they jump at it. If you can hold the, the club for one second at the top and then turn through it, that's, that'll give you a sense of what really good tempo is. And 
Another drill, and I mentioned it years ago, we had a player here named Liam Cox at the university from England, and he had a drill, and he may have been the best ball striker we ever had here. He just had trouble putting it together at tournament time. But he would start with driver, and he would hit 100-yard drivers. And then he'd go down to a three-wood and hit 100-yard three-woods and go through his bag, not hitting the ball more than 100 yards. And it's amazing wow. how he was synced up. And when I get out of sync, I do that very thing. I take a club like a driver and just try to hit it 100 yards. And, and you realize when you do that, you'll see your flaws. If you're opening your hips too early, that'll happen, and you can feel it going at that pace. And it's, it, it takes no time before the club is squaring up at the ball, and you're squared up to the, the ball as well. And all of a sudden you get your, your, your rhythm back and you get that feeling of connectedness back. So that's, that's one drill. You can't obviously do it on the golf course. I guess you can. But it's that feeling on the driving range of, of tempo, rhythm, and being squared up and impact. Well, the first hole we would have so time you, to do you that, John. <laughs> well, I actually hit it. I did hit a driver about 100 yards on the first hole, but it wasn't intentional. Say. What club yeah. do you get to in your bag, John, where you have to hit a full swing to get to a hundred? I tell you what, he he hit it really good. He doesn't play as much as he used to, but he hit it really good this week. I gotta say. My, my best shot with him. My best shot was on seventeen, Darren, when I couldn't swing right handed at it and the ball was oh, in a deep yes. rough next to the bunker. And I turned the, the face over and hit it and knocked it, hit the pin, almost knocked it in. I've never even tried that shot before. Oh. And now I'm going to use it all the time. I mean, Tim, it was probably a 70-foot <laughs> chip shot. And he turned the club around. I mean, between my flop shot on one and yeah. that shot on 17, I mean, Peter Costas was going nuts with this Minolta swing vision thingamajig. So. Well, yeah, that's all the highlight for me, though. John yeah. is left-handed, so <laughs> that's so true. It's not giving. Oh yeah, good point. <laughs> See, I didn't know, John. You're left-handed. Uh huh. So yeah. we're both lefties that play golf right-handed. Why did you decide to play right-handed? Uh, back when I I started, they didn't make left-handed clubs. <laughs> 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 no, actually, um, I, that's what my my uncle gave me a set of clubs, and and that's it was right, and and that's fine. I mean, I batted right uh, playing baseball and stuff, so it wasn't that hard. But I've tried to play left-handed or hit balls left-handed, and I am horrible. So I think I made the right choice. How about that? Well, the guy um, that 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 John and I worked with, Brian Godfrey. Some of our listeners probably remember yeah. Brian. Mm-hmm. Um, he was left-handed as well, and he really struggled with his golf swing. Do you remember this, John, when he was going to be committed to just switching and playing left-handed? <laughs> he was well, so he had the hip issue. Game. He had, it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he just said, I'm going back. And he had his golf swing left-handed looked perfect. Yeah. It looked like a tour it was, player, it was a and he couldn't break yeah. 80 right-handed. Well, there's a, a gentleman you know, too, Tim, and Ben Berger was an assistant of mine uh, back in 03 or 04 here. And he could shoot in the mid-70s from either side of the ball. I've never seen wow. him like it. Wow. Yeah. yeah. He's a good player. Um, I He's a very good player, yeah. Last week, and, man, he just killed the golf ball. But yeah. I was a tour player. Remember uh, Wayne Grady? Yeah. yeah. He could shoot. He was a scratch golfer from both sides of the ball. <laughs> yep. Yep. That, that makes you want to vomit, doesn't it? <laughs> now, see, golf is the only thing I do right-handed. 
and I played right-handed because that was the only club sitting around the house. So yeah. it was a problem, though, when I played Little League Baseball at night and junior golf in the morning. My baseball <laughs> swing was a mess during the golf season. <laughs> I mean, it was like just an absolute disaster. Like a National League pitcher trying to bat, that's basically what it looked like. But, you know, some people say it's an advantage to have your dominant hand on the top of the golf club. Of course, Phil Mickelson learned to play left-handed, even though he was right-handed because he faced his dad, who was his teacher, and it was easier to simulate the swing by Mm -hmm. staring at him. But I don't know if you guys agree or not, but many people believe having that dominant hand on top actually Mm -hmm. adds a little distance to your swing. Mm, I can't. It's also... Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that 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 top hand, you know, sometimes gets too aggressive. Yeah. And you got some other issues that are created. Yeah. I mean, ideally, you're well, both hands. You should have a the same grip pressure in each hand. That the hands really shouldn't factor much into the golf swing, Darren. Uh, as far yeah. as active being active, and sometimes that does cause issues. I do agree with that. So. Okay. So much for that. We'll check. Yeah. The list. Nice try, though. Yeah. yeah. All right. I'm I'm just asking questions. I'm just asking questions. You know what I would love to be able to do one afternoon? You know, and Ben Crenshaw, of course, one of the co-designers of Warren Golf Course at Notre Dame, Core Crenshaw Design. I would love to have an hour with Ben, go out on the greens at Warren, and have him talk about how to properly read a green. I think it would be absolutely fascinating because that's never been a strength of mine, no matter what golf course I play. I've Mm -hmm. never had a great feel for what I'm seeing. Now, there's a lot of tour players are now standing over the top of their golf ball, looking. There's a lot of different ways that these players go about reading greens, but I would love to have someone like Ben who obviously can – see anything on a green, terrific stroke, one of the great strokes in golf history. I'd just like to know what he looks for, what he sees, because there are times there was a putt I had at Warren, I thought it was going to break three inches right to left, and it broke three inches left to right, and I'm still puzzled how the heck that happened. So I'd just love to get into the brain of one of the great putters because I just feel like if I played every day or if I played a lot, I'd still cost myself maybe three strokes around by not being able to read the greens properly. Mm. But, I mean, how well, do you learn to do it better? It's not like I can go, like, yeah. hit golf balls, you know. It's just something that's feel. I mean, there are techniques you, and some things you can employ to help you read greens. Like, you know, you look at a putt and you look at the edges of the green and see if there's a, a dominant feature like a, a hill that's coming off of. And, and, you know, that's like reading the outside of the green to see what it is on the interior. But... Um, I'm going to have to name drop on you guys. I'm also oh, sorry. But, so Billy Casper, the year oh. before he died, was here at the university. And I think we even spoke about it. He was promoting a book, uh, The Big Three and Me, it was called, and it really dealt with the fact that he never got a lot of credit for how good a player he was because it was Nicholas and Palmer and uh, Gary Player who dominated mm-hmm. at that time. So anyway, uh, we had kind of a Q&A with some of the regulars here, and he was considered one of the greatest putters ever. And one of our guys asked him what was the key to putting, and he said it's real simple. It's reading greens. Yeah. It's not the putting stroke. And there's something to be said for that. So if you are lacking in that, there, you know, talk to your pro. There are some things you can learn to do uh, without doing, you know, taking 10 minutes before every putt. It's just looking at tendencies 
and the way the green sits into you know a certain area you can see if you if you and the other thing is look at it from both sides again don't take all the time in the world but while the other people are putting go to the other side of your putt and you'll probably see more than you will from the side that you're putting from Hmm. and then i think the other thing that people lose track of especially amateurs is the reading a green is also the speed of how hard you're hitting it. Yeah, you know, right. You can see that it breaks right to left, but you, you know, how many times, you know, when they, the saying, have you hit it on the amateur side of the cup? Well, a lot of times that's not because you read it wrong. It's because you didn't hit, you didn't yeah. hit it with the right speed. Exactly. Um, so it's really a combination of the two. And the other thing I want to say is, Darren, if you wanted Ben <laughs> To teach you that, I'm sure John could arrange that for you for about 25 hey. grand. <laughs> actually, actually, I was on the 16th green with him, and this was probably seven or eight years ago. And he asked me, he says, "What's this going to do?" And I go, "How would I know? You're the one designing." <laughs> All I know is when we played this week at Warren, there were a couple of putts I had. I thought, you know what, I'm paying the price for Ben having a bad day because this is not a fun putt <laughs> well, over this little hump, and then it's going to go up the hill, then down the hill, then left to right. I kind of got Ben's bad day, I think, when when he put together the golf course. But you know what, I love putting on those screens. It is such a challenge. It's such a I don't know if you challenge. guys remember what Watson said last year at the championship. In his press conference, he said it may, those may be the most difficult greens he's ever had to read. And I thought that was phenomenal coming from that guy and where he's played. But there's so much subtlety to our greens there. I think, uh, you know, Tim's got some real undulations in the greens. Yeah. And, and yet I think a lot of his greens are relatively flat where they're supposed to be flat. Whereas we get some movements that I haven't figured out, believe me. So, well, yeah. John Foster, Tim Firestone, Darren Pritchett, The Golf Show. Brought to you by Michelob Ultra on WSBT Radio. You guys offered a piece of advice years ago, and I'm sure you've said it many times on the program. And whether you're a really good golfer or a Sunday golfer, there are times, maybe all the time, it makes zero sense to shoot for the pin. If you're not a professional golfer, it is wise to aim to the middle of the green. And you know what? You might accidentally pull or push the ball toward the hole, but the safest place on the golf course is the middle of the green. And I have done that for years, even though I don't get to play as much. But playing with John, I was aiming for the middle of the green. I didn't short my, short side myself once. If I missed, I missed it to the wide side. It just saves so many strokes, guys, aiming for the middle of the green because you're not going to have to worry about a bunker. You're not going to worry about short-siding yourself. I really believe you can save several strokes every round by taking that philosophy to the golf course and aiming for the middle of the green. Now, if you're a three handicapper, I guess that's a different story. But aiming to the middle of the green actually makes the game of golf a whole lot more fun. No, I agree. I think the other thing, too, to keep in mind, especially amateurs um, struggle with, is short-sighting yourself whether the pin's in front or back of the green as well. If the pin's in the back of the green, don't take a club that's going to get you back there. And I think especially at Warren, John, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but some of the best rounds I've played at Warren are when I'm I'm playing to the front of those greens a lot of times. Oh, yeah. Where yeah. I have it right yeah. in front of me. 
No, I, Tim, that's, I mean, there's not one of them you can name out here where you're, you're good going long, whereas like at, at, at Blackthorn on number seven, that's the play right. is to you know, hit it almost through the green and then it's more accepting coming back. But you're right. I mean, one of the things I picked up from watching these guys last year here, nobody went long. And they're yeah. so confident, even if they're five yards short, the way these greens run up, they'd much rather have that shot than having to flip something like Darren did yesterday successfully uh, coming back down the hill. You know, because I'm such a good guy and a good friend to you guys, I'm going to take 10 minutes out of my time and teach you that shot so you'll have that in your bag when you hit it over the green. So I, I wow. just feel like you've given me so much for the years. Now I want to get back to you because – We'll, we'll, we'll change you your should, game. You should put it on Twitter, Darren. Give it, give it to let all your listeners <laughs> yeah. get a little insight there. Put, post that on Twitter for us. You want me to do like the Phil Mickelson tweets where yeah, it gives you all the – Yeah, I know I talked to John about this. He didn't see it. But, Tim, did you see before the match with Brady and Manning, Tiger and Phil, the day of the match that Phil had a 90-second video talking about the match? Did you oh. see it? In the parking lot? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was talking about hellacious seeds and and yeah. uh, bombs, and he explained what the difference is. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, like B squared plus B squared, times yeah. B squared or whatever. Yeah. Oh, and and the best part, he goes, now Tiger has the little stingers. He goes, those are cute, but the hellacious seeds wave at that ball when it goes by. <laughs> we need more personalities like that. I know. Well, I don't. You guys, maybe I'm wrong, Darren. You've been a fan of his. I was never a big fan of his until probably the last two or three years. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like I've seen a different side of him, and he is priceless. I mean, his Instagram and Twitter stuff is as good as it gets. Well, I think he knows the prime of his career is is close. There's no doubt about that. Or I'm the the best is behind him. There's no doubt about it. He's going to catch lightning in the bottle every once in a while but i think he's just enjoying the latter stages of his career and i think he's accepted tiger was the dominant player and he's said that many times that tiger has cost him a lot of money and a lot of championships so i just think bill's just a little more relaxed than he used to be just having fun at this point because tiger is tiger and that's the end result hey before we leave this segment i have to ask a question about your match the other day what putter was John Foster using? <laughs> Do you know, Darren? Did you look? It was well. It, I remember looking at the grip, and it was a red. It was a red grip with Cameron on it. So I'm assuming yeah. he was using oh. a Scotty Cameron. Well, Cam, I put I put Bobby Grace. I put Bobby in the in the trunk of my car before I played. I just thought he's oh. not done enough time in order to make him appreciate the fact that he can make the starting lineup. So I'm going to go oh, back to man. Bobby. Uh, Scotty didn't treat me very well yesterday, and so the old uh, fat lady's going to sing again because that's the name of the putter, Darren. It's called the Fat Lady. I, uh, should, should I ask or should I not ask? No, no, I'm just saying that's what's on the, bo- the bottom of it. Bobby Grace named it that. Now, granted, it's about as old as Tim is, but um, that's what the name of it is. What, you couldn't find the old Billy Baru or something? No, it's, it, it, this is better. <laughs> this has a Balada insert in it, and anybody that knows yeah, what Balada is, right. is, is probably as old as I am. So you it can't even like hear a, the a marshmallow. Yeah, It's pretty much it. That's exactly right. I so. still have a couple of members at our place that are still playing with that putter, John. I mean, they won't really? give it up. Oh, yeah. 
No, I'll tell you, man. I, I I love it, but I'm just not confident with it. I haven't used it in so long, and I look down at it now. It looks so small relative to modern putters. I didn't realize how small it was for a mallet. So when we play, the three of us play, I will bring Bobby out. Yeah. When will that be at Blackthorn, by the way? Hey. Well, if that's up to Tammy. I'll join you guys next time. <laughs> You know what, John? He doesn't sound too intimidated from the sounds of our match, so he's like, yeah, I'll play now. I don't think so. I was very nervous. (laughs) Oh, boy. All right, let's take a break and regroup here. We'll come back with a little more golf conversation. The Golf Show presented by Michelob Ultra, proudly distributed locally by United Beverage of South Bend. John Foster, Tim Firestone, Darren Pritchett. All here on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT, WSBTradio.com, and also on the WSBT radio app. The Golf Show continues, presented by Michelob Ultra, proudly distributed by United Beverage of South Bend on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett, joined by our professionals, John Foster, the general manager at Warren Golf Course at Notre Dame, Tim Firestone, the owner of Blackthorn Golf Club, in South Bend. First segment, we talked about playing at Warren. Tim, Blackthorn right now, what type of shape is your golf course in, considering you guys have had quite a bit of play so far this year? Yeah, just uh, counted up the rounds. I think we've already played 12 and a half, 12, about 12,500 rounds already. Jeez. So wow. it's been insane. I mean, and John Quickstead, our superintendent, God bless him, uh, for him to keep the golf course in that kind of condition with that many rounds of golf is quite the feat. But, oh, my goodness, you know, yeah. We uh, we have, you know, we knew that rain that we got uh, earlier this week. We were really, you know, drying out yeah. quickly. But uh, uh, we've changed some of our practices as far as uh, the, the care of our greens. Um, and I don't know, John, if Matt's doing this probably, but there's a new trend happening in, in golf. Um where we are not mowing the greens every day like we used to. Mm-hmm. Um, we are only mowing the greens pretty much every other day, and the other mm-hmm. days we're rolling them. Uh-huh. So we have noticed a significant difference uh, in green speed and, and putting surface um, uh, by not mowing them every day. You know, you get, there's a lot more wear and tear uh, on the plant with cutting it yeah. you know, every yeah. day. Uh, also, just the green and compaction and different things as well. So, uh, we've noticed uh, uh, a positive uh, outcome mm-hmm. by, by changing this philosophy. So, golf course is in great shape. I mean, unlike Warren, I mean, I, I can't wait to get out there. I've heard nothing but unbelievable things. And mm-hmm. but unfortunately, uh, all the divots that are not at Warren are on our tee boxes. <laughs> <that's not laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, if there's one thing, I mean, Timmy, your tee boxes are big too, but if there's one thing I would change, and we've added to a couple of our par three tee boxes, um, you just can't be big enough. My goodness, they just get beat to death, and this time of year they just don't recover that quickly. Especially you when know, you start getting into outing season and you have you know people yeah. that play once or twice a year and – they don't know what a, a divot mix bottle even is, let alone what it looks like. And then they're yes. six-inch divots. I mean, oh, yeah. you almost need a backhoe to get everything going after you get some of these golfers off the course. The one thing 
I've noticed too, and I know it drives Matt crazy, is on a par three, a lot of people will hit like four or five shots. And it's like, <laughs> come on. You know, nobody's around. It's slow. And that, that's four or five divots they yeah. take there. Yeah. It really is It really is hard. And there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, other than scream and yell at people, and that's not really what we do around here. So. Right. That's one of my favorite lines, though, when I watch guys in a first tee hit like three shots, John. I'll drive down there and I go, excuse me, sir, um, the driving range is over this way. <laughs> my, my, my favorite one is, is when they have actually a, a, a move down where before they finish the through swing, the right hand's going into the pocket picking out another ball. Oh. It's all part of the swing. So yeah, the, the ball in the back pocket is probably my, one of my favorite <laughs> Other than the putter sucker on the end of the putter. Yeah. Because the ball in the back Those pocket is, you've already pretty well preordained that the yeah. they have to hit another one. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. like the guys that are hitting over water, they go in their bag if you get the dirty <laughs> ball. Get their water ball. Like, how's that out Yeah. <laughs> we could do a whole show, Darren. We could do a whole show on quirkiness of, of golfers. Oh, gosh. Yeah. You know, I will say – Tim, the one thing I was disappointed about when I played with John the other day, I did not get to see him in action cleaning a golf cart. I felt like oh, I did oh. not get the full um, experience. Yeah, I didn't think me, that would last long. Oh, no, no. It doesn't mean I'm not. I did it before he got here and after he got here. I just got two hours off. I, Greg, right. let me my uh, my assistant, Greg, let me have two hours off to play with Darren. And I had to go back to work. Unbelievable, boy! I rank pretty high on your list. That's I, I feel yeah. really good about that. I could I would have played with anybody, Darren, to get out of cleaning cars. Just not to take that first night, but hey, yeah. I'm, I'm available at nine thirty any day, John. You call me, and I'll make sure I get you out of work. That's for sure. You're gonna hear from me. Okay, I'll be ready, Tim. Right. If you don't mind me asking. Maybe offer a perspective. You mentioned 12,500 rounds have been played. Do you mind if I ask how many rounds you normally have in a year? We'll do anywhere between 27 and 30, depending on weather and how long the the fall goes and how early we get started. Um, But we're up about almost 20% um, from last year. And that's considering the tee times are farther apart, too. So you've actually – you probably lose several – possible well, changed, every day well i changed out uh, a while well, that, ago Darren, but that's right yeah, i mean in the spring when we first opened and the beautiful thing john you won't i mean this is just the power yeah. of rates and golf which you know obviously we're all trying to increase our rates sure but our our play is up 20 percent, but our green fee revenue is up 40 percent. wow yeah why so would you possibly discount uh, in this atmosphere yeah Oh, yeah, and we had so much Chicago play and Michigan play who weren't yep. black card holders that are playing rack rate. And it reminded me of the old days working at Blackthorn. John, you remember those days we would just have oh, a full rate and there was no Absolutely. The T-shirt yep. was full, and it's just yep. bing, bang, bong, 70 bucks, here you go, next guy through. And we haven't yeah. seen those days for a long time. No, not at all. I, another thing I've noticed, and Tim, I, you've got a huge range, I know, but – I just checked our revenue numbers. We opened on June 2nd, and to date in June, we've had our best range month ever. And it's wow. because there's so many people. 
with so much time on their hands that they've chosen to hit range poles. And um, we appreciate that. And there's also a shortage yeah. of, of decent driving ranges around here. We've talked about that before. Oh, yeah. You know. Yeah. We just had that discussion last night. I mean, if you look at our community and how many golf courses there are, we're overbuilt. But if you look at how many yes. driving ranges and practice areas there are, we're underbuilt. I that's the that's true. And the problem with driving ranges is you want to be in a, a prime location, but land acquisition costs are so high to have the right location. Yep. And so it's kind of a, a catch-22 on actually opening a standalone range. But, boy, I wish somebody would do it. Well, there used to be a really good one that I remember, but unfortunately I had to go <laughs> yeah. away. It was awesome. Yeah, it was great for a year before the bank decided they are going to put a road through the place. So um, I wish I still had that, boys. I do. I know. Yeah. I know. All right, quick timeout. More golf show coming up, presented by Michelob Ultra on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT, WSBTradio.com, and the WSBT Radio app. Along with John Foster and Tim Firestone, I'm Darren Pritchett, the golf show presented by Michelob Ultra on WSBT Radio. I did not know this till I read it this week. U.S. Open changes among the most significant to the process, the top 70 in the official world golf rankings are now going to make the event that is 10 more than normal. And so, for example, Phil Mickelson actually is now in. He will not have to qualify. He was number 61 in the world. 13 amateurs will be guaranteed a spot. Top performers around the world and a handful of club professionals will also make it. And players on both the Corn Ferry Tour and PGA Tour can earn a position if they play well the rest of mm -hmm. the summer. Would you guys, I know it's our national championship, would you like to see more of the top golfers in the field, or do you like the way it's always been yeah. where you're going to get some no names, you're going to get amateurs involved in this tournament? I mean, it's called an open, and that's why it's not an invitational. And so, I, I mean, I know they have to do it this year. They've canceled all qualifiers. But, Darren, I, I, I would hate, and the USA will never go away from that format. They are so proud of it. I mean, at the senior open, uh, they, 80, 80 players out of 100 and um, you know, when they start with 156 are qualifiers. Now, some of them are professionals, but uh, that's that's the lifeblood of an open is the qualifying process. So I don't ever yeah, see that happening. I love it. I think it's like class basketball in Indiana. You know, absolutely. Get rid of it. It's just uh, the chance for you know a miracle and. They'll never change it, and they shouldn't. This year I get it. No, but that's a really good analogy, Tim. I mean, I remember when I watched Francis Wilmette win it in 1906. Um, you know, he came out of nowhere. So there. <laughs> wow. Tim, he can even name drop guys from 1906. <laughs> well, I didn't talk he's to him. He's had several just... lives. He's, he's, he's like a cat, you know. He's got nine lives. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm on my ninth right now, pal. So. <laughs> <laughs> well. One of the things I always enjoy, Tim, about the Foreign's Invitational, that you get a couple of sponsors' exemptions to hand out. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. And actually, speaking of that, just this week we found out, um, if you guys remember, I had uh, Alexa Pano at mm -hmm. 14, and she's probably the next great American hope um, in professional golf. But mm -hmm. uh, she just qualified and is now fully exempt on the Symmetra Tour. So we oh, wow. uh, we had asked her to come back this year, and um, right. we have now have a new opening that we have uh, available. So wow. I got to figure out what to do with that now. <laughs> so it was good for her. She's I think she's only sixteen, and she's got full time uh, exemption wow. on the Symmetra Tour. Wow, 
Awesome news. Very, very awesome news. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we take our final break? We will come back. And the highly anticipated revealing of what's coming up at Warren and Blackthorn is next on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT. The Golf Show presented by Michelob Ultra, proudly distributed locally by United Beverage of South Bend. Let's find out what's coming up first. John Foster, the general manager at Warren Golf Course at Notre Dame. One thing I failed to mention before, we're open on Mondays now, and for the past four years we've closed due to projects that were committed to the Senior Open. So we open at 11 o'clock on Mondays, and a lot of people aren't aware of that. So come out and see us on a Monday. Okay. Tim Firestone at Blackthorn. Golf course is open for playing. It's in great shape. Uh, our junior camps start next week. We've got four weeks of it. Um, we still have some spots available for the youngsters. Blackthorngolf.com for all the information. Guys, and enjoyed it as always. Hopefully we'll see you on the golf course very soon. Okay. Thank you, Darren. Have a good day, right. guys. For John Foster, Tim Firestone, I'm Darren Pritchett. You have been listening to The Golf Show, presented by Michelob Ultra on WSBT South Bend. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 